0: Um, you know Thanksgiving. It's great that we can, uh, you know, like I said, laugh and, and uh, enjoy and be thankful for things. Uh, but Thanksgiving always means the kickoff of Christmas and Black Friday. Um, apparently, not many Black Friday shoppers here. It was it, it, this year. Uh, my son Elijah, he's 14. He decided he was going to go uh, Black Friday shopping. He wanted to go at midnight on Thursday. We shut that down in a heartbeat. And then, but he decided he was going to go at 6 a.m. His friend Nathan slept over, and so they got up and they, uh, they left the house probably by, uh, I don't know, maybe 6.15 to go Black Friday shopping. They were home by 7.30 and he's got all his shopping done. <laughs> My wife was like, how do you, you know, she's jealous. She's like, how do you do that? So we'll, we'll wait and see how that shapes out once we receive the presents, I'm sure. But anyway, uh, it's kind of funny. Is husband and wife were at the mall. They were shopping and you know how they have all these kiosks in the mall? And uh, they're shopping at this one kiosk. And they're looking at... I don't know what it was, but they're looking at this thing that... whatever they were selling at the kiosk. And this young girl walks by and she's kind of wearing a provocative outfit. And the husband, his eyes just follow her the whole way past. And he turns back and the wife is still looking at this... whatever it was. And without missing a beat, without even looking up, she says, well... Is it worth all the trouble you're in? <laughs> <laughs> can you believe it. And, you know, that's kind of where we're heading this morning. That's what we're going to be looking at in a nutshell a little bit. We're in the middle of a series we, we're calling love Evolution," or Love Revolution. And uh, we're combing through the book of First John, sort of looking at uh, the ways that having Christ in your life should, should change and literally revolutionize the way we think about some specific things. And uh, today we'll, we'll be examining uh, this evolution or the transformation of our relationship to the world. Let me, let me ask you this. Have you, guys, have you guys ever had one of those like profound, significant, revolutionary thoughts that just all of a sudden you, you think differently about something? Anyone had any one of those? You know, if you know me, you know that I've, I'm a long-time Pepsi fan, right? Um, I love this stuff. I think it's the best... The drink ever created, um, and it was so weird. Just about two weeks ago, I, I want, went to get a soda, and they didn't have any Pepsi, so I uh, just got a Coke, and I drink the Coke, and I'm like, holy smokes, this is amazing stuff. This is better than Pepsi. Joking, I hate this stuff. Pepsi's way better. Totally joking. But seriously, you know, you think about it, we have these, level, we, we have these like, revolutionary, these thought revolutions that happen. Um, My wife, Susie, and I, we were talking this week, and she's like, remember when bell-bottoms were going to come back in? And I was like, no way. And then next thing you know, I'm wearing bell-bottoms, and now it's like the skinny jeans. And you have these, like, transformations of thought that happen on all kinds of different levels, you know, like the pretty insignificant bell-bottom level. Um, Or you have them, you know, even on more, on deeper levels. Uh, You know, we used to think that the world was flat, right? And, and if we went too far, we'd fall off the edge of the earth. That was, of course, if a giant sea monster didn't swallow our ship whole first, because that's what we used to think. And then, of course, Kansas wrote a song, Point of No Return, and we realized that the world was round, right? It's a, it's a music joke. Um, but, yeah, until Columbus, we thought the world was, was flat. And then we used to think, that, uh, we used to think that, that the earth was the center of the universe and everything revolved around it, right? And then we... So some, some of you still think that your world is the center of the universe, but hopefully we'll change that. But um, we realize now, actually, the earth revolves around the sun as a small part of the universe. And I just heard this just a few months ago on NPR. They, they have, as, they, as they explore space and they're, they're discovering the universe, they, they have a new thought. And the thought is this, that the universe that we know is one of many universes, That's seriously a different way of thinking. It's a revolution in thought. And and today, in the same way as we're going to be looking in 1 John, in the same way that we have major breakthroughs in thought, John, the author of this book, was was hoping to create significant revolution in thinking for the readers of his book with regards to their relationship to Jesus Christ and even more specifically with regards to how they viewed the world as we'll find in this passage that we're going to look at today. You know, and and I don't want this just to be like a conversation or like an information transfer. Like I'm going to give you thoughts and you agree or disagree and you go home and watch football. I really... I really hope that in this time together, we can actually personalize this stuff and take away something that helps us move forward in our life and our, our relationship with this world. And so what I want, I want to challenge you to do this. Think about this for just a second. You may already know this. Many of you will. What is it that you struggle with in this world? The one thing that always fights for your heart when it comes to God. The one thing you're really willing to sell out God for. And it may be a really big deal or it may not be a big deal. But what I want you to do today as we go through this, if you think if you can think of that right now, I want you to write it down. I just want you to write it or as we're going through, as you come as it becomes aware to you, I want you to write that down. Because like I said, I don't want this just to be informational stuff. I want this to be life life transformation. You know, it could, I don't know what it is for you. Uh, you know, we all have our own stuff. It could be, you know, are you more concerned? You think about this. Are you more concerned about what people perceive of you or are you more concerned about what God knows about you? You know, is it, is it, is it acceptance? Does, does your desire to be accepted by people drive you to do things that actually, if you weren't so worried about being accepted, you wouldn't do? Or even trusting God with the future? I don't know, maybe it's money, maybe it's your image, career advancement. I don't, I don't know. But I really challenge you guys this morning as we dive into this stuff to really try and personally identify specific things in your life that you can attach to this message. What I want to do is I'm just going to jump into this passage, and we've, like I said, we've been, we're in the middle of this uh, First John passage, and we're going to pick up in chapter 2, uh, verses 15 through 17. I'm just going to jump in and read, and we'll move forward here. Here it is, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You know, it's easy to read something like that and just kind of gloss over it. But when you really start digging into it, it's, it's pretty thick stuff. And I just want to, first of all, when he says, you catch it, he says, if, if, if don't love the world, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. What's he, what's he talking about when he's talking about the world? Well, first, first of all, when he's talking about the world, he's not talking about this, this earth you know, he's not talking about the the physical creation of the earth. We know he made the earth in Genesis, in Genesis, in Genesis and in in uh, uh, chapter one, verse thirty-one, he says he made the earth, and and it was very good. So he's not just talking about the earth. He's also not talking about humanity. John three sixteen tells us that God loves the world, speaking of humanity. So he's not talking about that. So what is it he's talking about? Well, what he's talking about is this world of sin. Or this this sphere that Satan has the domain in. Or, or maybe even more specifically, you think of it like this the things that life offers you as your end all. That's what he's talking about. Don't love the world. And interesting, when you look into the root of this word love that he uses here, it's, you know, I love Pepsi. I love, love, love. You, you can use the word pretty flippantly, but when he's talking about what, the, the root of this word love is, is uh, the, the, the Hebrew word aboth is where it comes from. And what it means is, is to become intertwined with, like a rope, a braided rope. Or, or have personal attachment to, the Greek word would kind of lead you to, to understand. It's not just I love Pepsi. It's that it actually starts... To become who you are and what you drive for. It's intertwined with who you are. It becomes you. And so what he's saying here is don't love the world. Don't become intertwined with the world. And we read in, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, what we do is we fall for this three-dimensional world concept, you know? It's just I'm living in this world, and we, d- we forget that there's this whole other world happening up here. And this is the level, the first that John, the author of this book, is trying to help us be aware of, and it's this, that we need to change our understanding of this three-dimensional world, limited by our senses of taste, touch, sight, sound, and smell, and embrace the real four-dimensional spiritual battlefield world. Where there's a fight for your soul, and the primary battlefield is through your senses. The primary battlefield is through your senses. See, what does it mean to love the world? It means living for what this life has to offer. And we perceive that through our senses. And I, I just want it's, to, it's, to understand this book even more, I just want to dive quickly into a little bit of the background. If you were here last week, you heard Lad talk about this a little bit, a little bit of the history about why this this letter was written. First of all, it's written by, by John, who was one of the disciples, yeah, an, an apostle of Jesus. He lived with Jesus when, when Jesus was here on the earth. and um, He's also the author of the book of Revelation. Um, it's probably written 50 or 60 years after Jesus had gone back up into heaven. And um, uh, it, it's really interesting when we look at Revelation. In, in the very beginning of the book of Revelation, uh, John references seven different churches. And the very first church he references is this church that he's writing to, the church in Ephesus. And you know what he says of that church? He says, You've lost your first love. That's what he says in Revelation about this book, or about this letter that he writes to this church in 1 John. See, he's writing to combat the lure of worldliness or that thing that draws us away from Christ, meeting our sense sense needs. And he's also writing against some false teaching that was leading him down that road. Not only teaching that was that was kind of permeating the culture, but teaching that was actually infiltrating the church. There were two main uh, teachings. One was uh, Gnosticism, which we still have today. And Gnostics believed uh, that, that matter was inherently evil, right? So therefore, the, a divine being could not actually inhabit a human body, right? And they also believed that they had a special hidden knowledge. That's what the it was, Gnosis is the word it comes from. They believed that, that they had a hidden knowledge, and a special understanding of that hidden knowledge, and what what that meant is, since they had their own hidden knowledge and understanding of it, it led to this horrible behavior, just crazy. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't. They, it put them above any normal. Like like they, they had complete disregard for Christian morals and Christian ethics because the, because of their hidden knowledge, it put them as an elite group that didn't have to follow these things. Dave talked about this as well last week, where he he talks about. Uh, the subjective Christianity based solely on our experience, right? I, we all create our own hidden knowledge. We interpret it however we want. We take the parts of Christianity we like. We discard the parts we don't like, and we go on with our happy life. Well, it doesn't work that way, and he's trying to combat that. The second thing, which is an offshoot of Gnosticism that he he uh, is addressing, is Docetism, which uh, Docio is the word it comes from, and it just means to seem, and and. What, what they taught was a lot of the same Gnostic teachings, but they also said, see, Jesus Christ actually only seemed to have a human body. In either case, it's a flat denial of the incarnation of Christ and a separation between the spiritual being Jesus and the human being Jesus. And it's a problem. He goes into, John attacks this in the very beginning of the book. He, I'll just read this to you. Uh, Just just to affirm, no, this isn't okay. I'm just picking up verse 1 of chapter 1. He says this, The one who existed from the beginning is the one we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. So he wasn't just this person who sort of seemed to exist. He was a real person. This is... Uh, this is the one, he is the Jesus Christ, the, the word of life, the one who is life from God, was shown to us, and we have seen him, and we now testify and announce to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was shown to us. And he goes on just to say, understand, that's not the, that's not the right stuff. And then he goes on again to pick up in, in, in chapter 2 to address what loving the world means and how these false teachings can lead you away from your true intention or our true, true need to love God. So what does it mean to love the world? Well, I want you to understand something pretty clearly. First of all, when he says this, we, we read in verse 15 of chapter 2, he says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. What it means is this, loving the world is clearly an either-or proposition one or the other. This is the second that I think John is trying to get into our heads. That we must reject the lie that we can live our life with, both, with a, a foot in both worlds. The world of spirituality and loving God and the world of worldliness. Pursuing personal gratification. You know, worldliness or love of the world that's actually the very thing that makes sin look normal you realize that? Loving the world is what makes sin look normal. And it also, loving the world is also what makes loving Jesus Christ completely with full-on abandon to serving him. It makes that look abnormal. You know, we believe here at K2 that for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, complete, dedicated, 100% devotion to serving him should be the norm not abnormal. Amen. So so why can't I live with a foot in both worlds? Why not? So you, so you say that, Mike. Well, let me tell you. Because loving the world will always draw us away from God and His call on our life. You know, I told you that story at the beginning about the husband who watched the girl walk by. You see... In that moment, in his mind, maybe he's still loving his wife, but he chose not to love his wife in that moment. See, that's how it works. It's either our propositions that draw us away or closer to, depending on how you decide. And it's true. Historically, you go through the Bible, every character, every time you read about, about someone in the Bible who makes a decision to pursue worldliness... It draws them away from God and away from His call in their life. Look at Adam and Eve sitting in the garden; pretty clearly, a different plan. Moses, when he killed the Egyptian, if you remember, Christian talking about this a while ago, for forty years he left the Israelites, abdicated his role as leader, and so on and so on and so on. There's an interesting in Second Timothy. We come across a really interesting story. Now, Paul is the writer of this letter. He's writing it to Timothy, who was a leader in a church. He's writing this letter. Uh, Paul's in jail and he's, he's uh, facing awaiting trial and he had a bunch of companions and his, and his companions are slipping off one by one. He's writing and he's saying, hey, Timothy, can you send me some companions, please? And he says this in verse uh, 10 of chapter four. He says, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of what? This life. And has gone to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was probably the home that Uh, Demas was from. But you see, he had a call to be on mission with Paul. But when the going got tough, I don't know, maybe he was afraid. I don't know, maybe he got a better offer. Maybe he wanted to go hang out with family. I don't know. But the concerns of this world were more important to him than pursuing his godly calling. And that's what happens when you live with a foot in both worlds. You're called away from one to serve the other. And what, what happens when I love the world? Well, this is the interesting thing to me. When we love the world, it's, it's, we think in our mind that if we just, if I go for this, I'm going to get these things I need, I'm going to feel better. But it doesn't work that way. It's so funny to me. Because loving the world actually leaves me empty and wanting more. We find this in verse 17 of, of this chapter 2 in First John. It says, The world and its desires pass away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, our desires pass away, and this world is eventually going to pass away, but God will not, and living for him gives us actual eternal perspective versus temporary fulfillment. Galatians chapter 6, whoever sows in their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Why destruction? Because the world's going away one day. The world's going to be destroyed eventually. But whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap what? Eternal life. An eternal perspective versus a temporary fix. And see, this is the trade we make. We, we, we make this trade, the spiritual, for the, for the immediate, the tactile. Romans chapter 1, verse 23 says this. Instead of believing what the truth was, what was the truth about God? They deliberately chose to believe lies so they worshiped the things God made but not the creator himself who was to be praised. When? Forever. So these temporary things that are eventually going to be destroyed that God created, we start to worship and we give our devotion to these things. Money, people, power, position, I don't know. Actual idols, probably referring to here. We make that trade and we lose and it ends up leaving us feeling worse than we did before we actually got what we thought we needed. See, this is the, this is the third love that he's talking about. And that's this, that our soul desires eternal spiritual solutions for the desires in our life. And the world only offers short-term fixes that leave me feeling worse than I did before I got what I thought I wanted. You know, and we all have these, just so you know. Think about this in your life. What are the things in your life that you worship opposed to God? Is it the new car? I, I, I don't know. You know, you could worship your wife. You could worship your husband, your children, your parents. It can be people-related. But when we trade to worship the things created by God for the God who created them, we find that it leaves us wanting more and worse than we did, than we felt before. I love this. Jackson Brown Jr., he, he wrote not the... Uh, what's his song? Um, Running on Empty. ads. Yeah, it's Not him, but the guy who wrote the book Life's Little Instruction Book. It's a New York Times bestseller. He says this. Love this quote. He says... I've learned that if you give a pig and a boy everything they want, you'll get a good pig and a bad boy. (laughs) Because if we got everything we wanted in this world, we'd be in trouble. Why is that? Because we never stop wanting. See, enough is never enough, and it turns our hearts inward, and we start to realize all the things we don't have because we're getting everything we want, and we realize we need more. Susie said this to me, it's so profound. She, She said this, have you ever wanted something? Have you ever wanted something in your life so bad, right? I'm sure we've all, everyone can relate to that, right? But have you ever wanted something in your life so bad that when you finally got it, you didn't want anything else ever again? Of course not. We always want, and that's the problem. Because what we think is going to fill the void leaves us wanting something else. So how do I know if I'm loving the world? Well, here's and dive into the last part of this passage, and it's, it's here. It says, "Loving the world happens when I attempt when I attempt to satisfy my flesh, my eyes, and my pride." Verse sixteen of sec, uh, First John chapter two says this: "For everything in the world." The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Everything, all this world has to offer you are these things that meet your flesh, your eyes, and your pride. That's all the world has to offer. And we've already determined that once we get that stuff, it's not enough. We want more, right? See, we need to understand that Satan attacks our senses in order to control our mind, which dictates our actions and inevitably owns our heart. Get that? He attacks our senses, our eyes, our flesh. And that makes us think differently about something. Hey, if I just get this, I'll feel really good about it. So then I start pursuing this thing, right? Right? I start pursuing it with this idea. Now I start to think differently that this is going to fill the need. And then my actions follow that because now I'm working towards that. Now what happens? That owns my heart. And John is trying to say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh. doesn't work like that. So what is the lust of the flesh? It's pretty simple. Physical gratification. You know, it could be anything, you know, food, wine, comfort, vacations you can't afford maybe vacations you can't afford just physical gratification that's lust of the flesh what's what, what what's lust of the eyes i see it i want it i get it the finer things in life i want to pursue these things and then the pride of life this is really interesting it's pride in position or craving honor and applause even, even, and this is a really key to this one for me, a stubborn mindset that won't even allow me to be humble enough to confess. That's pride. I'm something important, and I take pride in that. Just so you know, that's all the world has to offer, and this is, so just, this is Satan's ploy. This is Satan's way of attacking us as followers of Christ, to draw us into worldliness and away from God because it's an either-or proposition. This is from the beginning of time. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of the Bible, right? What do we find the beginning of the Bible? Adam and Eve are living in paradise, right? And they're running around naked. They don't even know it, probably because they had perfect bodies. That was supposed to be a joke, but anyway... uh, (laughs) They're running around in paradise with complete community and union with Everything, the 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 plants and the animals and everything's perfect, and then in comes Satan disguised as a serpent. Adam and Eve are standing there one day. Satan comes in and strikes up a conversation with Eve while Adam stands silent and he says, Hey, you should eat this fruit. And then you know, oh God said we can't eat that fruit. He said, Well, you should eat it anyways. He's trying to keep something from you, right? I'm gonna pick up in verse chapter six of uh, verse three of chapter six in Genesis, and it says this when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and pleasing to the eye, lust of the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, pride of life. She took it and ate some. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. And made coverings for themselves. See, this is where it leaves, right? If I just have this fruit, he said, don't eat this fruit, but if I just eat this, it's going to make everything better. I'll be complete. And they eat it, and what happens? They have wisdom that they didn't need, they have knowledge of stuff that wasn't actually good for them. Now they realize they're naked and they're thrown out and the whole thing's flipped around. See, we're not the first people to fall for this. This is Satan's plan since day one. He used it with Jesus in the, when, when Jesus went and he fasted the same thing. Do you remember this story? Jesus is fasting in Matthew chapter 4. In 40 days he goes without food and Satan shows up to him and says, Hey, see that rock? Because I know he's hungry. Turn that rock into bread and you can eat it. Lust of the flesh. And he takes him up to this high place and he goes, Look at all of this stuff, Right? worship me and I'll give it to you. Lust of the eyes. And the pride of life Jump down off this thing and the angels will come and rescue you. Show me you're something important. Well, of course Jesus didn't buy into that. Remember uh, Monty Python's search for the Holy Grail? I already got one. <laughs> Thinking uh, that's what Jesus should have said to him. point is this, that when we, that Satan wants to attack our senses, our flesh, to change our mind so that we think differently, act differently, and in in the end he owns our heart drawing us away from Christ. let me ask you this, have you experienced these transformations that John was hoping we would? These love maybe we could call them? Are you still living in this three-dimensional world, not realizing that there's this whole battle going on up here, and when we meet our sense needs that we give in and walk away from Jesus, we choose the either or? You find yourself living with one foot in two different worlds, trying to make your flesh happy and trying to serve God, and wonder, why in the world do I feel like I'm getting nothing out of this life? find yourself trying to satisfy these eternal needs with short-term fixes? As best I can tell, all of us in this room fall into one of three categories this morning. The first category is this. You're saying, you know what? I've actually never even taken the step of giving my life over to Christ. I've never actually given Him control. So I, I can't really relate to that. And I just want to challenge you. If that's you, if you're sitting in here this morning, first of all, thank you for being here with us. I pray that you would actually consider this and think through the things that maybe you've identified as some specific struggles for yourself. But the first step for you to understand what it means not to love the world and to fully love Jesus is to give your life over to him. Second category of, uh, for those of us here this morning would be this. You'd say, well, yeah, I've received Christ in my life. But like the Ephesians, this church, I've lost my first love. Yeah, I really have. I've gone and I'm living in this world of worldliness. I'm pursuing my senses and gratification at the cost of knowing Jesus, the one who I used to love. And the third category would be this. You'd say, No, I don't think I've I don't think I've lost my first love but I know deep in my heart that I have some specific things that I'm dealing with that are constantly nagging at my heart trying to pull me away from Jesus and into the world. And hopefully you were able to identify those or if you haven't, spend some time today. So you can't serve two masters. You can't. You just can't. You're going to love one and hate the other or hate the other and love the one. You just can't do it. Here's what I want to do this morning as we close. I'm going to pray with us and uh, I'm going to be up here after the service too. And I, I just, I'm going to pray a prayer of invitation for you guys. Whichever stage you might find yourself in. And if you want to talk afterwards, please come talk with me or pray or whatever. I'd love to help you in this journey as we all kind of struggle forward on this and join us in fighting the fight against loving the world. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for, oh, thank you for so much. We are to be a grateful people. You have given us and given us and given us, and what that has created oftentimes is an expectancy that we deserve more, we desire more, or we feel as though we we should uh, we want more, we realize what we don't have. Lord, forgive us for that, first of all. And I pray for anyone out here today who's saying, I, you know what, I've never taken that first step in accepting Christ, and today, today could be that day for me. I want to receive him into my life. I pray that you'd move and stir their hearts, and that that would happen and not wait another day. For those of us who could say, I've lost my first love, and I've turned away, and I've chased worldliness, and, and I realize that I'm trying to live in two worlds and it's not working. I pray you could bring conviction to the areas that are causing us this stress and bring forgiveness and healing in that very area so we can fully know you and fully devote to loving you. And then the third, Lord Jesus, I just pray that for all of us, every single one of us in this room, that you would speak to our hearts and help us clearly identify the areas in our life that we need to be on the guard so that we don't get pulled down a path that draws us away from you. Again, we love you, and we thank you so much for loving us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Hey, as we uh, close the service out today, I am wondering, Patrick's up here. Uh, we're going to be taking our offering, and Patrick is, as we're doing that, Patrick is going to be sharing uh, a little bit about our outreach. And so often, you guys, we just take our offering. But I want you to be aware that the reason we actually take offering is, yes, to, to uh, uh, help us, you know, accomplish the Sunday service. and uh, but, but there's so much more going on in, in terms of outreach. And um, uh, Patrick's going to share with, some of that with us in a minute. And I also want you to be aware if you didn't come prepared to give this morning, there are three ways you can do it. You can put money in the offering bag if you want. There are also, you can go online at K2TheChurch and you can uh, uh, give uh, electronically that way. And you can also, for you uh, smartphone people, you just down- download a QR uh, scanner on your, on your phone, and you can just scan the program, and it'll set you up, and you can give right from your phone. just want to make those opportunities available to you. But again, I just want you to understand that the giving goes to do some pretty amazing things. I'm going to let Patrick share with you some of that stuff.